Welcome to the Development Locker Podcast, where each week we bring you guest speakers and partners to share their experiences, knowledge and contacts to benefit you, the person behind the player. Each episode, we aim to enhance your development and aid your future transition through the academy system and beyond. With focus also given to parents, academy staff and organisations who all support the development journey of academy players. On the podcast this week, we welcome three practicing psychologists who currently work with academy players in football. Continuing on from our previous episodes and presenting more of our why, we discuss all things psychology over the next 60 minutes. The three guest speakers we've invited onto the podcast have a wealth of experience and knowledge in the development of academy players from a mental perspective, as they continue to demonstrate a passion for their work and a drive to support the development of the players at their clubs and organisations, as well as providing them with life skills in preparation for their transition. This is their story. This is their interview from the locker. Good evening, one and all. Um, so we move on with our uh, podcast episodes and we now talk about all things psychology, or we'll try to in the next 45, 60 minutes. Um, I have the pleasure of three psychologists, uh, Nat, Ryan and Neil, who will tell you about their respective backgrounds a little bit uh, in a minute or so. But first of all, we're going to talk about the why. This is the purpose of what we're doing with these first episodes of season one. So um, to you, Nat, so why have you chosen a career in psychology? Well, great question. Um, and how long have you got? I mean, <laughs> I guess I'll, I'll start from the beginning and try and keep it brief. So I actually kind of my first experiences of sports psychology were um, through like endurance sport um, when I was younger. And that kind of the mental toughness aspect of it all. Um, that's where I kind of first found out about it. Uh, and then from there, I did a level psychology and learned more and more and decided to go to uni. So I went to uni up in Bangor, up in North Wales. Um, did my undergrad in sports psychology there and then my master's in sports psychology there. Um, and then that was a couple of years ago now. And then from there, I joined the British Association of Sport and Exercise Science um, Sciences on their accreditation route. So I'm a sports psychologist in training. Um, and now I suppose I'm working with um, most notably um, within international lacrosse with Wales, uh, the Wales men's teams. Um, and then you've got Chester Romans American Football Club as well, which is um, a really interesting experience. And then off the back of that, obviously, we are main chat is about football tonight. Um, and I am I have previously worked with I'm currently working with um, semi pro footballers and academy players and things like that. So that's kind of my um, my background and why why I'm in there. I guess I I'm a fan of sport in general, which I suppose is going to be the answer for Ryan and Neil as well. Uh, get into sports psychology without being a fan of sport. So um, I guess I almost pride myself on. Um, knowing a lot about different sports, having the privilege to play a lot of them as well when I was younger. Um, so yeah, I guess that's uh, that's my brief brief answer to that one. That's a great answer. Thank you for that, Nat. So what about yourself, Ryan? Does that differ? Is there similarities between the reasons why you've got into the career you have? Yeah, slight similarities. Obviously, that the love of sport comes through. Uh, football was always my sport growing up. As it kind of developed, uh, obviously tough getting a team out if you're 
in college and, and at uni, things like that. So I, I've kind of swayed a little bit more to the long distance running, a bit more individual, uh, but it's just easier to organise if it's just you uh, rather than having to get a five-a-side or 11-a-side team out there. Um, why I came across psychology, very simply, it was uh, offered at kind of sixth form at AS and A level. Uh, we had a really, really brilliant teacher at the college that I went to, really enthusiastic, uh, just presented the lessons uh, with tons of interest, loads of things for us to do and interact with and just explain away that, that thing that up until that point, no one had really opened my eyes up to kind of how the brain works and how emotions and things like that affect us day to day. So that kind of opened my eyes up to that side. And then going to uni, looking at different courses, I found that I could pair this psychology that I'd experienced for a couple of years but with kind of my love of sport and that's how kind of we came into to sports psychology. And I'd say it's been a, a, a fairly short, but felt feels like a long journey up to this point, uh, but with plenty more that we can uh, delve into and, and tons more to, to come in the coming years as well. So there's my uh, short answer. Thank you. Appreciate that, Ryan. And last but by no means least, Neil, um, you know, what's your why in getting involved in psychology in academy football yeah I mean very similar to Nat and Ryan although my sport was golf so I was a national level golfer throughout my teenage years and during that time obviously a very psychological sport so I was reading a lot of the Bob Rotella books and Tim the inner game of golf and still even at that point I grew up down in, in the southwest in Devon and sports psychology wasn't really a thing didn't didn't have a great any real support besides me and my coach and then similar to, to Nat and Ryan it, it was then that love for psychology came about through a level um, I really wanted to learn to understand how the mind worked and just just fell in love with the topic straight away also helped I did well in my exams so when I was looking for university options, I loved psychology, I loved sport and had no idea that you could put them both together and then did, did my undergrad at Bucks, at Bucks New University and as soon as I kind of stepped foot in that first uh, sports psychology lecture, I just fell in love with, with the topic straight away and knew that that was the path I wanted to go on and to become a sports psychologist. So after completing my undergrad, completing my master's, I then did my um, qualification in sport and exercise psychology training with the British Psychological Society. And I'm, I'm now currently a chartered sports psychologist with the British Psychological Society and HCPC registered. And I've been working as a practitioner for the past almost six years now. But within that time, I've, I've always worked within within academy football so I've worked for now six seasons at, at different academy clubs but always 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 been within academy football and so it was just natural that I've now segued into a into a full-time role within academy football where my sole focus is there as opposed to before where I was part-time and doing a mixture of academy football and, and other sports psychology roles. Thank you. That's good. So you've talked about each of your your kind of brief um, journey to this point. This is a, an opportunity now for you to kind of 
uh, you know, expand on that and give a bit of, you know, greater detail. So I'll return back to you, Nat, in terms of you've mentioned the different sports. Go into a bit of detail in terms of your journey so far and specifically as you found how psychology is recognised in those sports. Sure. Yeah. Um, like you mentioned, I may have jumped the gun, jumped the gun a little bit on uh, my first answer, but to go into a bit more detail, I suppose um, it's been an interesting journey. Obviously, I started at Bangor in North Wales um, for my undergrad and masters, and during that time, I still probably wasn't a hundred percent that I wanted to go into sports psychology as a profession, as a career. Um, and I think it was quite interesting. I played American football for the four years I was at Bangor, um, and that sport is um, again a bit like Neil was saying with golf. American football can be quite a, um, a mental sport as well as obviously it's extremely physical, but um, the mental side of it is also fascinating. Um, I think it's something that isn't necessarily looked at um, to answer your second question there within American football. It's not necessarily looked at um, as a, an area that people need improving because a lot of the time um, they're kind of rugby players that are trying something new or people that are in love with the sport before they come to university, that sort of thing. Um, so it's seen as something you just play rather than something that you can improve on and work on your men the mental side of it. Um, so that's a really interesting area. Um, and that's part of my work with Chester Roman. So obviously I've not been um, been doing sports psychology um, for a huge amount of time at university. Um, I'm fairly new to the, the profession, but my experiences so far have been quite interesting in terms of um, the American football side of it. A lot of the players that I've talked to haven't really thought about it before. Um, in terms of something they can actually physically work and obviously they're always in the gym they're always doing stuff physically but the mental side of it as we've mentioned already with kind of why we're doing this we're all quite interested in the mental side of sport um, and it's quite interesting to see that the the American football guys aren't that they aren't very aware that it's a thing that you can actually work on and improve and there are people out there like ourselves that can can help with that uh, so that's been pretty interesting it's a squad of about 85 players um, for the Chester Romans so it's quite a a diverse group, a lot of different um, kind of issues present themselves. A lot of different people have um, different ways of motivating themselves or um, calming themselves down equally. Um, and that's been quite fascinating to see. And it kind of, um, it differs to the, the experiences I've had within lacrosse. Um, so lacrosse again is a sport that from my experience, hasn't picked up on psychology a hell of a lot. Um, hasn't been absolutely, um, huge on the psychology side of it but again it's massively important because it's such a team focused sport if one person isn't doing their job then um, your chances of winning the game are much much lower so it's quite an interesting one from that perspective um, and then obviously my kind of my individual work with with academy players and semi-pro footballers um, has been again different um, so going from American football and lacrosse where psychology isn't it's fairly new and it's not, it's not seen as something that, that can be hugely beneficial and haven't even thought about it a lot of the time. Um, whereas academy footballers, I found a lot of the time are aware of it, want to work on it, want help with it um, and think it's something that's kind of um, quite useful. Uh, and I think that that's possibly a kind of cultural thing coming from obviously the cross and American football are very much American sports a lot of the time. Mm. Uh, and football is more of an English sport. So I guess it may be a cultural thing. Um, but for me, my experiences, I suppose, have been up to this point, quite interesting to see the differences. Lacrosse and American football haven't been, um, the players have been receptive to new ideas. Um, whereas I guess the academy football players and the semi-pros I've been working with already know about psychology, already want to work on it, have ideas in their head of what to work on, all of that sort of thing. So I hope that um, answers the question. Yeah, yeah, more than answer. So I appreciate that, Nat. What about yourself, Ryan? So I know you've worked in different sports. I know you've worked with different levels of athletes. 
So what's, you know, giving a little bit more detail on, on your journey, but also your opinion of how also psychology is receptive or received rather um, between academy and professional athletes, as it were. Yeah, definitely. So just to expand um, where kind of Nat and Neil have mentioned, obviously, I've come through my QSEP. Um, I took mine as a, a three-year course, which is our professional accreditation in order to do the course. Uh, and I became a HCPC registered, them letters that we've all got, uh, registered sports psych um, through the BPS. I finished my training just in uh, October, November. So again, fairly recent. Um, but before that, I've managed to work kind of into my, my fourth, nearly gone into my fifth season within Academy Football, um, having spent three years with yourself, Lee, at Bolton. And then just finishing my first season with Middlesbrough um, in kind of my, my new role as lead academy sports psych. Uh, in addition, like you mentioned, to the football side, I've had the opportunity to work in a whole different range of sports from boxing, rugby league, uh, water polo, golf, cycling, um, and also supporting scholarship athletes at places like the Uni of Manchester and Teesside Uni, uh, which is a, a role I'm currently at at the moment. So, yeah, it's, it's athletes from loads of different sports and, and loads of different levels, um, from those who are just recreational and doing it purely for the enjoyment of getting out of the house, all the way up to kind of your semi-professional, professional, uh, national, international, and then Olympic pathway athletes as well. Um, so those who are eyeing up kind of the next Olympic circuits. Um, so, yeah, that's, it's kind of a, a total breadth of, of experiences I've had. Um, if I was to boil it down to kind of key areas of, of kind of what the careers look like a little bit, it's kind of three segments. Some is dealing with how we can best support the individual, so the athlete themselves. Some of the work as a sports psych is based at a team level, so how best can we integrate different individuals into a team to produce a really good performance. And then some of it beyond the team is kind of next level up, is looking at that kind of club organization environment how can we make sure that that is the most facilitative the best kind of experience for people within that whether players coaches um, backroom staff if we can get the right environment that people want to push themselves and challenge themselves then that usually leads to improvement and ultimately obviously our end goal is is performance and de development within the youth academy um, so they're kind of how the careers looked from a, a sport point of view, from a kind of different levels and backgrounds, and then also a little bit of the, the on the ground stuff, which I'm sure we're going to go into a little bit more with uh, future questions as well. Yeah. No, appreciate that. Thank you for that, Ryan. And Neil, you mentioned, you know, you've worked heavily within academy football, different academies. So yeah, if you could just go into a little bit more detail in terms of the different academies you've worked at, age groups and whatnot, but also your interpretation, your opinion of how psychology has been embedded throughout those different academies. Do the, do the levels differ? Are they all pretty equal? What's your thoughts? Yeah, so similar to Nan Ryan, I've, I've had a wealth of different experiences, even beyond academy football. So I've worked within um, rugby. I've worked in rifle shooting. I, similar to Ryan, I've worked with university scholarship athletes, as well and from all 
tennis player from young tennis players at the age of six right up to professional athletes um so in in, in terms of to answer your second part it, how it how it links with how the different academies differ in terms of, of the psychology provision i think actually there's each one differs anyway because they're looking for slightly different things mm-hmm. but actually every one of those academies I've gone into it's always been a new role and sports psychology has been something that they're looking to invest and an area that they want to develop and expand upon so that's okay. actually provided really great opportunities and and almost given me a blank slate in certain aspects to take the support I provide to many different directions which I'm sure we'll touch on in the in the later questions within the within the podcast but what the, I guess the main the, the main similarity the main similarity and it's also a difference is that there are key there are key elements of of sports psychology throughout all of the different roles that I've that I've worked in but then how you actually take that and use that within that specific environment looks very different so I think mm. that's where that's where those main differences come is is due to the differences in the sport so it's very different what an individual athlete needs compared to if you are working within a team as as Ryan mentioned so it's it's them balancing those different demands yeah no it's interesting it's interesting the different sporting backgrounds that you've all got it's again the reasons why I've got you all on on this episode because it's not just although this the podcast and the episode is for academy football players you know we'd be very naive and kind of blinkered not to think we can take bits from other different sports and individuals like yourself you've got a wealth of experience across different sports as well so yeah it's all, all good to hear and, and that kind of takes us on to really the first question that is kind of around the work that you currently do now and it's around challenges so now what what would you say to date has been your biggest challenge in your role within psychology in 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 sport Wow. Good question, Lee. Um, I think it's an important question, too. So I guess my answer would be from a from a football perspective, I think, um, because it probably slightly differs from Ryan and Neil's experiences, because what I'm, I'm coming into this from a, a consultancy, a kind of an external consultancy standpoint, um, mm-hmm. whereas it sounds like their experiences are more kind of embedded within an organisation um, and that kind of um, disconnect from the organization itself and the players um, that I'm working with is an interesting one. It's probably my biggest challenge because um, I'll make no bones about it. Working with these players has been tough. Um, and I guess it's, it's because I don't have the coaches to talk to and I, I don't have access to the teammates to talk to. So if there's any issues with team cohesion, for example, mm-hmm. um, it's going to be so much harder for me, or I found it is so much harder for me to, to work on it with these players when, I only get access to one of them. So I'm only, I'm only hearing his side of the story. I'm only getting his experiences. He might want help with, with working together with his teammates when if I can't, you know, expand the knowledge of his teammates as well as him or or give him the mental skills, but not his teammates, it becomes um, quite, quite frustrating, honestly. Um, So I guess that's my kind of, my biggest challenge at the moment is, is almost an undermining as well um, because obviously I'm not in contact with the coaches um, and they um, they kind of do their own thing, and he just uh, the players just turn up to training um, and do their own thing, and and whether or not they tell everyone that they they're employing a sports psychologist or not is is up to them. 
Um, so I don't necessarily get any direct contact and therefore it makes it quite hard if I'm telling them one thing about how they're reflecting on their performances and the coaches are telling them the opposite and making it quite um, quite difficult then I found that that's probably my my biggest challenge um, would just be the you know because they're under constant pressure anyway at academy level yeah. they've got exams and relationships and all things going on in their life as well as football um, and for me to not be necessarily in the organization has been a huge challenge because I can't um, educate the coaches I can't I obviously I have a better kind of relationship with the parents because often the parents are the ones um, paying me um, to put it bluntly and they can <laughs> you know they can they have a say in, in in what's spoken about and they I can get some info off them um, but it's it's quite difficult if I can't necessarily talk to coaches and obviously I can't just turn up to training randomly um, or maybe I could it's not something I've explored yet but I wouldn't I would necessarily wouldn't necessarily feel comfortable um, just kind of rocking up to training um, to talk to one player on the team sort of thing um, so it's been yeah I think my biggest challenge has probably been um, kind of helping these these guys when I can't get access to coaches and I can't get access to teammates and if the issues are um, you know something that can be helped by coaches or based around the teammates that they're playing with um, it just becomes a bit of a struggle so I guess mm. uh, to put it briefly I suppose my biggest challenge has just been I'm more of a kind of external consultant rather than someone that's been embedded within the organization from um for a period of time yeah that's interesting interesting point that one and i suppose ryan might be able to add to that and put it you know a little bit more context behind it through kind of doing yeah combination of both you know so is that correct ryan or have you faced different or more difficult challenges in your career from a psychological perspective today yeah, I think it was nice just listening to Nat say that because it's it's just triggered me reminiscing about how I used to feel in exactly that position um, and how kind of being embedded within an academy gives you the opportunity to develop those key relationships um, kind of within the the environment. Kind of the, the way people phrase it is is kind of them key gatekeepers. Who do we who do we need to win over in order to have the most impact um, with what we do within a team? So athlete-wise, who, who are the leaders? Who do we have to win over and kind of show them the value? But then also um, staffing and kind of influences behind the scenes um, at the club of who are those gatekeepers that enable us to, to do the job as effectively as we possibly can, um, which obviously is benefited if, if you're in the environment um, a lot more frequently um, than it sounds like Nat currently is. And then obviously me reminiscing about my previous experiences, it, it can definitely be a challenge only seeing players say once a week or or even less frequent than that um so that was one of my challenges the other one i i got it down I've, I've got three the other one was time um as we we know from kind of people listening who have had experiences within academy football time and structure and things like that is is always a pressing issue um, of how we've got set amounts of time we can train for uh, so many sessions that we can do a week and we want to fit as much value as possible into that. But there's only so much we can do. Uh, so that's always a challenge of, of knowing all this key psychology information that we want to get across to, to coaches and players. But we've maybe not necessarily got the time in the uh, weekly schedule or even over the season to cover all the areas in as much detail um, as me perfect world would like to. So therefore, there's a challenge in, in discussions there about what we then um, kind of streamline a little bit and what we put more emphasis on. And that kind of leads me into the, the third challenge that I wrote down, which was 
the biggest challenge I've found is having come out of uni, understanding and seeing the value in sports psychology and psychology and performance, but then having to convey that over to an athlete and tell an athlete of the value without kind of educating them to a degree level. Uh, so a lot of the challenges I have is translating the information that I've read about in a academic journal or learnt or seen someone else doing and trying to get that across to an 11, 12-year-old without me having to kind of speak to them as a university student. I need to be able to kind of describe different bits, whether it's confidence, whether it's resilience, uh, kind of different factors and um, influences within psychology. I've actually been able to tell a younger athlete what I mean without having to give them all the kind of proof of why it happens. Uh, mm. And within that, some of that's trust. Is you need to be able to trust me that, that what I'm saying is is really valuable and for some reason is correct uh, without having to delve too much into the background information of, of why that works. Uh, so that's kind of the, the challenges I've experienced within within football and within sports psychology uh, as a wider field as well. Cheers, right. Uh, and then, Neil, in terms of challenges for you, is the one that stands out in, in your career to date that you just think, oof, yeah, that was kind of a, a really tough period that you went through in your career within psychology? Yeah, I definitely share both um, the challenges that Nat and Ryan have shared already. I guess to add on to that, the... The main one that I would find that I found in all of my roles really is is proving your worth and proving showing making psychology tangible and showing how you're actually making a difference. Obviously, it's it is it is something that's really quantify and measure. So it's finding those ways to particularly when you're embedded within an organization and you are more accountable. How do you actually demonstrate that you're that you're actually having an impact, that you're doing work that is making the difference in developing a player or in or enhancing performance or supporting well-being, what whatever it might be? So, I that that would be the main one to add on top of Nat and Ryan's points. That's good. So let's go from not a negative, but you know, let's turn it into a positive now. So. You talked about your challenges. What what kinds of good practice have you witnessed that you feel should be embedded right throughout academy football? So starting with you, Nat, is there anything from football or academy football? Is there something from another sport where you think, yeah, that really needs to be delivered to academy players? Yeah, um, for me, I think, and I know you're kind of you're quite big on this lead due to the obviously the, the podcast itself, but looking at the player holistically. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just a massive, a massive one. Um, and and Ryan and Neil are probably shaking their fists at me because I've stolen their point. But uh, <laughs> it's, it's it's such an important one because if 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 you're looking at them just from an athlete perspective, especially in in academies, like like mm. I alluded to earlier, there's a lot more stuff going on um, in their lives. So for them to to be seen as a as a holistic athlete is is so so important. I think that kind of for me at least um, the good practices that I've witnessed actually. Um, a great example would be at Bolton um, with, with yourself, Ryan and Leela. It's it, just getting the parents involved yeah. and educating them more um, is probably one of the best practices I've seen, especially when it comes to younger athletes, because the parents have direct contact with that athlete 
um, all of the time, effectively. Um, you know, they're, they're the one we as sports psychologists, as Ryan kind of mentioned, the time wise is, is difficult. Mm. Um, we don't get that much time if you think about it. And for the parents to know more about sports psychology and for the parents to buy into that and start kind of saying different things that will help their child is just absolutely massive for me. And I think that should be embedded across across football because you can then teach mental skills that not only, um, you know, can are useful for the athlete in the game, but also thinking holistically, if you teach someone a mental skill um, of like maybe reflective practice or, or mastering kind of controlling your thoughts, etc., then it's going to be so much easier for them to go forward in life, regardless of whether they make it in football or not. It's going to be so much easier for them to go through life and use those skills in whatever they do. So maybe it's going to be really useful for them going forward in football, but it might also be really useful if they get a nine to five job. Um, I think that's a, for me, is something that I've seen um, because obviously you guys at Bolton got the parents involved. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that's a fantastic practice that I think should be embedded across football or academy football. Um, and then kind of just teaching mental skills for life rather than um, just for football and kind of selling it that way as well. Uh, for me would be um, the practices that I definitely would love to see kind of more embedded within, um, within academies. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I have to point out and not kind of, yeah. Um, <laughs> in terms of the, the, the parent inclusion, that wasn't a, uh, a conscious decision in terms of um, the outcome what you were talking about so i appreciate your kind words it was more the fact of trying to juggle and, and the challenge of having players and parents on the same site and not just discarding parents so i can't take credit for that one that just happened by chance <laughs> by luck um but yeah it's interesting you, you said that so in terms of the holistic development how would you just as a follow-up question before we move on to ryan but so how would you address that would that be solely focusing on identity so not just being a footballer you're a human being who just happens to be a footballer and embedding that right throughout it or would you want them to be developed in a whole range of different psychological components like you said for kind of life as it were how, how would you address that yeah um for me i think other than kind of just trying to get the parents more on board um and trying to teach them the sport psychology i think for the athletes themselves um I mean, the other guys might might have differing opinions, but for me, it's just experiences mm. um, getting out there and maybe not necessarily focusing on their identity as such, but just getting them to experience a lot of different things because um, that'll, that'll kind of as a byproduct, improve their resilience, um, putting themselves in kind of that uncomfortable zone where they're not quite sure and they grow from it. Um, so I think constantly trying to push um, to get them to, to do things that they they're maybe a bit nervous about. Um, so if it's whether I, I don't want to throw any examples out there, but it's a it's an interesting point for me in terms of trying to get them to experience more of the world and do some do some things, maybe start trying to practice running for a marathon or something like that. Um, and just to kind of stick into a training regime um, and doing something that's mentally um, demanding or mentally is going to push them quite far, I think is a, a great place to start in terms of, of helping them become a more well-rounded person um, from a psychological perspective, as well as kind of um, just physically as well, I suppose, using physical activity as a way to, to push them. So obviously their, their focus is football, but it doesn't mean that they don't have a focus on, they don't also like golf or they don't also like cricket um, and kind of allowing them even to, to just explore those different options, different, different sports, different things that they might want to try and get involved in and just experience loads. Um, I think for me, it's probably the main, uh, the main answer to your question there. 
right, cheers that. And then, yeah, so jumping on to, to you, Ryan, in terms of any particular good practice, is there something that you've seen at Middlesbrough, something you've seen from other sports or your previous experiences while you were studying where you thought, yeah, that needs to be embedded right throughout academy football for the benefit of the player and the persons behind the player? Yeah, I think before I get into kind of what intentionally was was my answer, which thankfully uh, Nat didn't steal, um, <laughs> I wanted to just build on one of the points he mentioned, which was kind of bringing the parents into that coach-athlete-parent triangle um, and emphasising the importance of that in that we're targeting how the coaches approach performance, how the players approach performance, and then also the role and the value that parent can add um, into that as well. And kind of one of the ways... I, I'm looking at it uh, is the weight of a parent message versus mine. So I could dream that I could say something to an athlete and they would view it as important as if their parent had said it. But the likelihood is they're always going to value what the parents said more because naturally they're kind of it's their parents. They're always going to listen more to them than, than to anyone else. And that is part of the importance of working on how we can best educate parents uh, and upskill them, not not criticize, but upskill how they go about communication and the praise and and just behaviors are in and around that athlete because their message that they convey to their child will always be more important than kind of a message from a sports psych. Um, so I just wanted to mention that just to build on what what Nat had mentioned. Um, moving on to kind of my experiences of good practice could easily speak for way longer than we've got uh, just on this question. But a lot of it comes through from a sports psych point of view, conversations like this and hearing what other sports psychs are doing um, and talking about their work and permanently borrowing different bits, not stealing, just permanently borrowing and, and lending things that kind of make sense or an analogy that, that just conveys a, something like confidence in a different way. Uh, there's a lot that kind of my intentions, say working working at Middlesbrough, a lot of my intentions are taking psychology out of a classroom. So typically, uh, and kind of from my own experience as well as speaking to other people, psychology has always been delivered as this education where it happens in the four walls of a classroom. And then when we go out on a football pitch, psychology is left in the classroom and it doesn't really happen outside. Yeah. And a lot of the ways I'm trying to challenge and develop and kind of speak to other people who are doing exactly the same is how can we get a grass-based psychology program that's led through the coaches that we can work on things like confidence and motivation, uh, resilience, but actually within training and make it a little bit more obvious. Um, the importance of that uh, from a sports psych point of view is that because I've experienced it myself and I've heard of other people's experiences, sometimes as, as kind of new sports like we go in thinking we've got the answers to everything and that we're the ones who deliver this and we're experts in it because this is what we've been trained in. And actually we don't appreciate the coaches have lived it and experienced it and everyone understands psychology. And um, Yeah, we know a little bit more of the theory and some research that people have done in labs or out there in the real world. But actually everyone understands the power of confidence and of emotions and of concentration and why it's important to feel good about yourself um, and be active and things like that. So 
the good practice that I've seen is, is people who go into environments and view everyone, that everyone has this knowledge of psychology. We're just directing the focus a little bit more specific just to get that fine tuning out of bits. Um, so there's my abridged answer um, that's not <laughs> that long for the answer to that question anyway. I appreciate that, Ryan. Thank you very much. And what, what about yourself, Neil? Is there any particular good practice that you've seen north of the border or elsewhere that you've either embedded in your at your current club at Celtic or that you know you've recently picked up and thought, yeah, next season that's what we need to kind of embed in our psychological program. Yeah, I, I, I definitely agree with both Nat and, and Ryan's points, and I can definitely strike them off of my list of of good <laughs> practices that I had already. Um, I guess jumping on the back of Ryan's point, the the willing the willingness of other members of staff to actually engage with me, as I mentioned at the beginning, yeah. I've, I've come into environments and sports psychology is often something new, or it's something that hasn't been used for a while, or has looked completely different, and they're wanting to really reshape it. So, yeah. actually, the staff engaging with me and in the psychology and, and then the importance of the perception this then has with the players I think there'll always naturally be a part of our roles where part of that educational piece will happen within a classroom due to time constraints particularly time constraints on the pitch but what's worked most effectively is then having coaches and other members of staff within those sessions that then we've actually been able to take those ideas and and then implement them within the pit on the pitch whether that's within specific training exercises or even in briefings and debriefings because as, as Ryan said they're they're the experts in that area so actually utilizing their knowledge and their skills I, I'm regularly going to my coaches to to ask for specific examples that will highlight a particular psychology concept or actually get them to speak because a lot of the coaches I've worked with are ex-players. So actually, they, and, and the academy players that are being coached by them are actually looking up to them. So then when they're sharing their experiences, perhaps being vulnerable with some of the challenges they might have faced, times where psychologically they might have not, they might have not been at their best, actually helps encourage that vulnerability within the players and I, and I think it, it it really interlinks very nicely I, I appreciate I'm I'm one person and my voice definitely isn't the loudest or the most powerful within the environment so therefore as as Ryan and Nat mentioned it's utilizing those other contacts utilizing those other people who can actually help to not only reinforce your message stronger, but also embed it within those different areas of player development. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's great that you've got that kind of collaborative mindset. And yeah, I'm sure, you know, not just Celtic as a, as a club or an academy, but the players and parents up there are, you know, kind of benefiting, you know, fr from that from that kind of foresight. But you mentioned time there, and, and all three of you have mentioned time as a limiting factor, as a, as a challenge, as it were. So, you know, Neil, if I was to ask you to kind of, in terms of the pandemic, we've all been affected in slightly different ways, but, you know, majority in very, you know, similar ways. Does Do you think the kind of remote learning, the distance delivery style that we've had to do all via Zoom and podcasts and videos and all the rest of it, 
do you feel that's kind of not got rid of the time issue? Has it helped you as a psychologist or has it hindered you because you prefer or you get better impact from face-to-face delivery? It, it certainly has helped um, because it's allowed me to, to reach a, a wider audience. Obviously, uh, as we know with Zoom and technology, it, it often does have its <laughs> its challenges and difficulties when things don't quite go to plan. And that's, I, I guess for me, I, I always, I prefer the face-to-face yeah. initially because it's it's much easier to build the rapport. True. But what we but what we know from the research that teleconsultation or virtual consulting actually can be just as effective as face to face. It's then it, there are obviously challenges with it, but there are challenges when you're face to face as well and you're delivering perhaps group sessions to parents or or to coaches. So it, it certainly does for me and my scheduling. It, it's worked nicely because there are opportunities for me when I'm perhaps spending one day with one particular squad, or I'm doing some certain work with players. I can then come back of an evening, and yeah. I might then be able to deliver a parent session or a coaching session to to groups that I wouldn't be able to access normally. So there's definitely been massive benefits for it. And it's something that I hadn't really considered. I don't think many people had perhaps considered the, no. how much we could utilize technology going forward. Well, I'd have, to, I'd have to say Ryan's probably ahead of his time because Ryan introduced me to Zoom, what was it, 18, 24 months ago? Um, and now yeah. we're, all, all we're all Zoom experts. <laughs> yeah, all the royalties are rolling in now for that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, everyone was like, Zoom, Zoom what? And I was like, I know Zoom. But anyway, that's a different conversation. Um, so to finish off, we're going to kind of bring Merger 2 uh, final questions together as one. So going back to you now, if I had to pin you down to one component of psychology that you feel would be the most or should be at the top of the list for an academy player in terms of their development, and then what tool or strategy would you advocate, recommend for that player to maintain or improve that component of psychology? Okay, big question. Um, I'll try (laughs) and keep it, I'll try and keep it brief. So, um, for me, the biggest component is reflective practice um, and how you evaluate your performance as a player. Um, I think having, um, you know, you've got outcome goals and process goals mm-hmm. and thinking about the outcome, which would be winning a game, winning the league, um, all that sort of stuff. They're all outcomes. Um, and as much as they are important, you know, you can't win a football game if you're not scoring goals. Um, and that needs to be acknowledged. But I think, for me, the biggest thing would be how you evaluate your performance and changing it from looking at how many goals did I score this game or where did the team come this season in the league. For me, it would be about looking internally and reflecting more on the processes behind your performances um, because it doesn't, you know, it's very rarely going to be one guy gets the ball, runs through everyone and scores a goal. Um, so if we're looking at the processes behind it instead, so how well were you positioned on the pitch um, were all of your passes accurate? Were they? Um, did you put the right power on it? Did you make the right decisions? All of those sorts of things, looking at the processes behind your performance, um, are huge. I, mean, I think that's probably the number one thing because it can be so detrimental if you're, if you come out of a game going, oh, I got one assist, and um, you know I, I didn't, I didn't score any goals, and we lost the game. 
and a player could come out feeling really really down about themselves and it could affect their confidence um which in turn you know affects their their motivation and possibly even the team cohesion um, and it's it's a really interesting point to try and kind of flip that and go well yeah okay maybe maybe you did um didn't make a huge impact on the game but when you did you know you made this tackle which was uh, which saved a goal or you made this decision which was correct and this decision and uh, looking at the different kinds of the processes behind your performance is probably my biggest my biggest thing. Um, and in terms of tools to kind of um, start to think about that more, or implement implementing it more, um, I think the first step as always is kind of identifying um, your self-talk, identifying how you're speaking to yourself. So looking at a game and going, okay, how well did it go? Like good or bad? And if you say it went bad, what was the reason for that? You know, oh, we lost. Okay, so you're thinking about the outcome. Now let's think about the process behind that. How well did you play as a player? Because there's 11 other people or even, you know, 20 other people that could have haven't had an effect on that game. Um, so to say that you played badly because you lost um, is can be something that I think players struggle with in my experience. And that that's something that can definitely be changed through identifying what your self-talk is around how well you played. Um, and then on top of that, to kind of highlight it, some reflective exercises. So just writing down even in a journal for... Uh, for five minutes at the end of the day or even at the start of the day. Um, some of the things in your head about your performances, um, what you want out of your performances and looking at those and identifying whether they're outcomes or if they're processes. So if you want to say, oh, in during the season, I want to score um, 20 goals, for example, or I want to make um, 17 saves and get clean sheets, all that sort of stuff. Um, you've got to try and take into account the other the other teammates around you that can have an effect on that. Uh, so look more into how many how many passes can I get right? How many how many decisions do I get right? All of those sorts of things. Um, so for me, I think it's the reflecting on your performances and trying to make it more process based rather than outcome based. All right, thank you. And then to you next, Ryan. So is the what's uh, pick one uh, psychological component that is, should be top of the list for an academy player to to work on? And what tool or strategy would you recommend? Well, first off, I thought that was an awful question because to force me just to pick one, um, <laughs> was pretty, um, I actually had a couple of conversations with different staff members this well, afternoon. Well, be, be, before you give your answer, what, we what are going to do a psychologically <laughs> themed month coming up. So you will have your chance to be reinvited yeah. back on and go into a, a bit more detail. So, yeah, yeah. sorry to kind no, of pin you down to yeah. just a few minutes. Yeah, it was good because it's just really, really challenged and kind of dug straight into that core of what, what is the most valuable, what's the most important. Um, so I had my thoughts, I, I chat to a few different members of staff this afternoon, got some alternative thoughts as well. Um, but the one I, I kind of ultimately came up with was the key component I think that kind of developing academy footballers need is ownership and resp kind of ownership responsibility, if I can have two words. Um, <laughs> so just to take ownership, to take responsibility of what they do so what they do being the gym side of things the nutrition side of things the site development the technical and tactical development just taking that ownership of going i've got all these people around me who are all experts in doing what they're going to do one i'm going to listen to them because there's value in what they say and two i'm actually going to then carry out and do it um, i think that's the biggest thing that from a psych point of view, any any academy player or any human really needs is just that ability to to own the situation they're in. And if we're in, in good times and everything's going well, then brilliant, because then we're going to prosper. And if we're in difficult times, then it's 
kind of actually coming up with some positive, some optimistic drive to go, you know what, I'm actually going to pull myself out of this um, because it's on me. If I don't bother doing anything, I'm going to stay in the same place. If I actually try and take ownership over what I can, I can actually change the, the environment, the situation I'm in, um, obviously, hopefully for the better, uh, which links me perfectly into a tool that you could do to do that. When we speak about focus, we speak about controlling the controllables within psychology all the time. A really simple uh, mantra that I came across was CIA. So exactly the same as the American government organization, the CIA, really simply all it does is split down a situation that you face into control, influence, or accept. So you come across uh, a stressful situation, let's say it's um, kind of a, a, a bad game, a bad performance, uh, or you, you dropped team selection, or even you, you deselected from an academy and released. Turning around to that situation and go, right, is this actually something that I can fully control? Is it something that I can't control all the elements of, but I can definitely influence them? Or is this something that's totally out of my hands that ultimately I have to accept, that I can't risk wasting time being annoyed about or wasting energy and effort on wishing things were different when I have no bearing over that decision that was made? Um, and that's especially important in something like football, where it is a subjective kind of industry, whereby people's opinions determine in that situation whether you are successful or not. Now, sometimes you can kind of throw them off that if I turn up uh, and don't apply myself to training every single day and then I get dropped, well, that is a direct result of what I've done. But sometimes you can be flying in training and for whatever reason still don't get picked. Now, if I'm kind of judging selection as a immediate success then that can throw off my emotions like Nat was mentioning before so actually I'm really I need to look at that situation and go is, is selection something that I can maybe not fully control I don't get to pick if I play but I can definitely influence certain bits of that and then if I can influence bits what are they what are the elements that I can control is it my attitude around the training uh, environment is it the effort that I put in is it that I'm willing to do extra bits and I'm organized and I've got everything I need to though the bits if I do well I may be able to influence that ultimate decision um, so kind of that would be my tool that pairs up with that ownership of really simply just ask yourself CIA is it something I can control is it something I can influence or is it something I can accept love a good acronym thank you for that Ryan uh, Neil <laughs> Save the best to the last. So in terms of one component, yes, I'm sorry, just one, of psychology that you would potentially, if you haven't already, planned to embed uh, in the play development um, programme up at Celtic for next season, and what strategy or tool are you going to advocate and use with your players? I feel like being the last one, I get to cheat a little bit because I'm kind of <laughs> combining Nat, Nat and Ryan's together slightly. Um, because my one would be self-awareness. And, and the reasoning behind that is if you're not self-aware of what you're perhaps doing or, or not doing, then it's very difficult to change your behavior. And that's ultimately what we're looking to do with performance and development. It's, it's the behavioral change you can, which find you can work, you can work 
really well on perhaps the internal stuff like the cognitions and being able to respond well to what you're experiencing internally. But if it doesn't translate to improved development or improved performance on the pitch, which is a behavior, then actually has that technique perhaps been as beneficial as it could be? So that, that would be my main area. The way I look to help players start building that self-awareness is a tool uh, called the Choice Point, which is from an area of psychology called acceptance and commitment therapy. And it was uh, created by uh, Russ Harris. And in effect, it's saying that everything that we do is a behavior. And so if we take this within a football context, there are behaviors that you do that are towards your best performance. And there are behaviors that you do that are away from your best performance. And then day to day, it can be quite easy to engage in behaviors that are towards your best performance. But when we're faced with challenging situations, difficult thoughts and feelings, if we get hooked by them and caught up and consumed by them, often we're more likely to engage in those away from best performance behaviors. So I'll, I'll, I'll give an example to help it explain it. That So a challenging situation that every academy footballer has faced is they've made a mistake that's led to led to their team conceding a goal and of course their mind starts going through this conveyor belt of negative self-talk I'm useless I've let my team down I'm never going to be picked again I'm never going to get a contract and then the behaviors we see as a result of that so um, they start to hide on the pitch. They're not. They're not wanting to get on the ball. They're perhaps um, not communicating anymore. They're not getting into spaces to accept the ball. They might be beating themselves up even more. They might. They might even, at worst case, feign an injury so they can actually get themselves off the pitch. So all of these things that if, if, we, if they engage in these behaviours, they're not going to be helpful for their performance, but also their long-term development. But then if you flip it and you're able to then actually unhook from these difficult thoughts and feelings, which, are, which utilise different techniques and skills, there'll be many examples of players where they've made a mistake and they've still actually continued, they've recovered and they've continued to perform at their best. So they're engaging in behaviours that are linked with their best performance. So they ask for the ball immediately. They're getting involved. They are actually louder with their communication and, and they're just, they're really getting themselves about. And, and there'll be certain helpers that they use to actually utilize this and it might be that they're able to take perspective or they've got they're remembering previous successes where perhaps they made a mistake and played well subsequently after that or it's the coach giving them that support and and the way this choice point works is it's so if, if people listening to the podcast want to google it it, you get a nice kind of diagram it's it's two arrows and in the at the bottom of it it's it's a choice so you have a choice when these difficult thoughts and feelings show up or these challenging situations you've got a choice whether you're going to engage in behaviors that are away from your best performance or you're actually going to perhaps utilize some helpers and some skills and engage in behaviors 
that allow you to perform at your best. And it, and it can be a really nice, useful exercise and, and a useful roadmap to not just for the player, but also for staff as well to notice when a player might start leaning towards those behaviours that are not helpful for their performance and where a coach might be able to intervene within a training session or a match to, to help kind of pick them up them maybe a reminder to engage in something towards their best performance. And it's certainly, it, from my experience, it's worked as a very eye-opening tool and it works great as because you're, it's behaviour, it's something tangible that you can see it works as a really nice reminder because as you expect, when a player has a really good game, if you were to do like a behavioral checklist, you'll see loads of, of, of engagement with those towards best performance behaviors and not much engagement with away from best performance and vice versa if they don't perform well. So it acts as a really nice way to, for them to just notice how these, these behaviors have, have an impact on their performance, which then in turn increases their self-awareness. Superb, superb that, Neil. Thank you very much for that. And thank you to each and every one of you for taking the time out of your evening uh, to give back selflessly for free. Um, and I know you will have impacted um, the majority of our listeners, the Academy players that are tuning in to this podcast okay. or will be doing come nine o'clock on Monday morning. Uh, so thank you from myself. Thank you on behalf of our listeners. And like I said, um, and in response to, to Ryan's, it'll be great to have you back on. We're going to do some themed months next season in season two of the podcast. And just looking at our schedule and psychology is going to be in August. So keep your your uh, your diaries uh, open and empty for August because we'll get you back on and we'll give you some greater time to really delve deeper into certain components and tools, strategies, and really delve into your opinions on uh, some of the psychological development that needs to be taking place at academy level. So yeah, it'd be good to have you all back on. Yeah, sounds good, Lee. Yeah, it'd be great to be back on, given given the list of the many other components that I wrote down. <laughs> it would definitely be good to dissect them a bit more. Yeah, apologies, guys. I mean, yeah, that, that is a challenge to try and get it into a, a short period of time. But as I'm sure, we could probably do a separate podcast just for psychology, which I'm sure there's many, many out there already. But yeah, I appreciate your time. I appreciate you trying to cram in and uh, select just one area of you know the, the wealth of knowledge that you've all got. So yeah, thank you, guys. Thank you. Cheers, Lee. No problem. Cheers, Cheers Lee. Lee. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode, taking on key points that can enhance your development and aid your transition. We look forward to seeing you next week where we bring you more interviews from the locker.